So go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. And basically, to be very, very truthfully, the word of God, faith, they say faith come by hearing and hearing the word of God. And the word has already been preached by virtue of the reading of what Jack did. That's all we have to do is just show up and read the word. Nothing else needs to be done. And I was thinking when he was reading that that's exactly what he has done. But anyway, let's just look at these particular verses here. And uh, and let's see what the Lord is saying here to us. So look at that verse 1 there, Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. And it says this, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, Now understand, we have been looking at parables for a little while here. And as of right now, Jesus is speaking to the multitude. He is speaking to the priests, the elders, the scribes, and the Pharisees. Now, if you look at verse 2, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, <clears throat> which makes a marriage for his son. Now, Jesus is going to show them something in the natural realm, which relate to the spiritual realm. So we're going to take something natural that they understand about their king. And just out of that, it has a spiritual connotation. And it says, a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Now think about that. God, the king who sits on the throne, has a son. And his son has already died for his bride. And one day there's going to be a big party thrown for his son in celebration. But we're looking at this in the natural realm as of right now. And it says here the banquet was a wedding feast for the king's own son. And we're going to see in verse 5 and 6 how they responded to this wedding invitation. Now look at verse 3. And verse 3 says, And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden. And that simply implies that he commanded them to go out and order these people to come to this wedding. Because he's a king. And what a king says is what goes. You know, there's no excuses. You simply do what he asks you to do. But we're going to see what's going on here. So he sent out these servants to invite these people to the wedding. And they would not come. In verse 3. Now notice how they responded to the king. Well, guess what? We proclaim the gospel to people all the time. They don't respond. See, the natural and the spiritual. And that's our responsibility is proclaim the gospel. So let's kind of set this up in regards to the king spoken here is God the Father, who is preparing a wedding for his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus has paid for his bride with his shed blood. God has sent him out and God has sent out invitation to the wedding. And that's what we do Sunday after Sunday out on your job. You send out this invitation to people. And the sad thing is that most of the invites will not come. You invite people to church. They do not come. 
They are so busy with things of this world, they are not interested in coming to the marriage. Look at verse 4. Again, he sent forth other servants. Now he's sending another invitation out, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatland are killed, and all things are ready coming to the marriage. Now he tells them what's going to be the meal. <laughs> he, he really trying to attract them. You see how God goes about trying to attract us to salvation. So again, he sent forth other servants. And this is an illustration of God's patience and forbearance with those who deliberately spawn him. He continued to extend the invitation even after his goodness has been ignored or rebuffed. Look at verse 5. He sent out this invitation in verse 5 says, But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. Now notice what they did. Now they're doing this to a natural king. And we already kind of set the table that God is the king and his son is Jesus Christ. So they treated the invitation with contempt as things of no consequence and exact representation of their conduct of sinners in regards to the gospel. And they say one went to his farm, so people are engaged in much of their worldly interests and they pretend they have no time to attend to religion. The world is, in their view, of more value than God. Look at verse 6. And the remnant, now notice what they did, took his servant and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Now think about the prophets that God sent to the nation of Israel and what they did to some of them. They killed some of them. So you kind of see the implication of what's going on in this parable here. So some of the servants, they laid hold of them and put them in prison. You remember Peter and James? They put them in prison. God is sending out his servants to proclaim the gospel. They detest the gospel. They hate Jesus Christ. And they slew some of the prophets, and now they put some of the disciples in prison. You remember when they stoned Stephen? See, the same thing that's going on here. And they killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So you see, God's first charge was to send his prophets to the nation of Israel, and you see how they responded to him. They refused to accept Jesus. Look at verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, he was angry, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Now this kind of goes back to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But I'm not really going to get off into that, but I just want to let you know what is going on here in the natural realm 
of them not responding. So it go on to say what the king did to them. And just think about this. Eventually, this is the same thing that's going to happen to this world. It's going to be totally destroyed once Jesus raptured the church the tribulation take place, the thousand year reign, and then they are going to be thrown in eternal hell. Look at verse 8 with me. Now this is the king speaking. Then said he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. And you know, none of us are worthy of the grace of God. And they're going to say, but they which was bidden was not worthy, but they were not only unworthy in themselves, as all men are, of such a blessing and privilege, but they behaved towards it in a very unworthy manner. They were so far from attending on it in a diligent and peaceful way. Verse 9. Now, notice this right here. Now, he, he, he came to the nation of Israel first, and now he is saying, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid to the marriage. Now he's saying, Go to the highways. He's turning to the Gentiles. This is what's going on now. And notice how the Gentiles respond. Now, notice this here. He says, as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. This illustrates the free offer of the gospel, which is extended to all indiscriminately. Initially, he was going to the nation of Israel. Now he is casting his net a lot wider to others. Now, this scripture was just telling of the message being offered first to the Jews. They totally rejected the message. It was then offered to the Gentiles. And I was trying to find that scripture, and I think it was open Isaiah somewhere, where it talks about into the highways, and the highways is the implication of the Gentiles. But I wasn't able to find that. But you can search the scriptures on this particular parable and kind of see the essence of it. So the king has given up trying to get the physical Israel and has now sent messengers to the Gentiles. And we know that he chose the apostle Paul to minister to the Gentiles. Now look at verse 10. So these servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. Now it is some people responded. The Gentiles are responding. So these servants went out into the highways, turning from the Jews and went among the Gentiles, preaching the gospel to them, particular, as I said, the Apostle Paul, with Barnabas and others, and gathered together all, as many as they found, both good and bad. 
And we know the gospel ministry is the mean of gathering souls to Christ as the fish gather in the net of the gospel. And it says bad and good. All description of people. None are good by nature. If they were, they would not need the gospel. But some are worse than others, and they have special needs of it. None can be saved without it. And that particular verse goes on to say, And the wedding was furnished with guests. That is, the wedding chamber was filled with persons that made a profession of Christ and his gospel. So we see Christianity was offered to everyone, the Jews first and the Gentiles afterwards. A person past is not important. It is what you do after you are saved that really counts. Now look at verse 11. And it says this, and when the king came, now we, the natural realm, and when the king came into See the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Now, now let me just kind of say this because I'm kind of uh, not giving a lot of history on this particular parable. And what happened as you read and you put it all together, these sermons are going out and these people are coming in and as they're coming in, Back in those days, the king will, would provide garments for the wedding. So these people did not have a chance to go home and dress and prepare and come back to this wedding. They was coming just right in off the street. We would give them their attire for the wedding, and they would come in and take their seat. And this is the picture of what's going on and what we're going to see what happened. So the wedding garment is provided by the king. And think about this here. Who provides us our garment, our clothes of righteousness? Who provides that? The king. I stand here this day with my clothes of righteousness on. And let me say this. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Wow. You remember this morning we were talking about the deity of Jesus being veiled and what he did is he put man over his deity? Just thought about this here. I have my clothes of righteousness on, but you see my what? Natural clothes. So my natural clothes cover my righteousness. So therefore, I got to live out my righteousness that you may see it. And these clothes I have on are called my clothes of what? Going back to Genesis, when they hid in the garden, they hid because they was what? Say it again. They was naked. Say say, say it a little louder. They were ashamed. So what you see me with on here is my clothes of what? There you go. 
I have my clothes of shame on. And each morning that you get up, you put your clothes of shame over your clothes of righteousness. And you go out for the day and you live out your righteousness through all of that. Because your righteousness flows from inwards out. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you, Lord. So that wedding garment, my righteousness that has been imputed to me. Now, oh boy, I tell you, Lord, help me this afternoon because I, I just am getting something else here. We always talk about imputed righteousness, don't we? You ever notice that? And they, they, they talk about imputation is a, a counting term. So that means that my, God is imputing my righteousness to an account. But there's something called imported righteousness. And that imported righteousness is what I have. It's me. I have his righteousness now. But this, this, this account over here, we go to the bank and draw money out of a what? An account. So the imputed righteousness is on an account. But imported righteousness is what I have. It's imported to me. I have that. I like that. Mm, mm, mm. I apologize for that, but I, I, well, but, but anyway, these wedding garments, they are given as the people come in. Now watch this here. All without exception was invited to the banquet, so this man is not to be viewed as a common party crasher. In fact, all the guests was rounded up hastily from the street, and therefore none could be expected to come with proper attire. That means the wedding garment was supplied by the king himself. So this man, lack of a proper garment, indicates he has purposely rejected the king's only gracious provision. And there are people rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like this man rejecting his garment to partake in this wedding. So his affront to the king was actually a greater insult than the people who did not come. Now the people out in the street who rejected it and did not come for this man to come and sit up in there was an affront to the king. He might as well have not even come because watch what happened. He doesn't have a chance. The one out there still have a chance. So his affront to the king was actually a greater insult than those who refused to come at all because he committed it in the presence of the king. He did this in the presence of the king. Now look at verse 12. Now notice this here. The king is talking now because he has come in, he is welcoming all the guests, and he knows this outlier, this person who is sitting there with different clothes on than everyone else, so he stands out. And verse 12 says this, And the king said unto him, Friend, 
See, because he thinks he's the king friend. And he's addressing him as friend. How cometh thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And notice what he said. His mouth was shut up. And that's the very thing that is saved at the white throne judgment for people that day that when God shows them, they will be speechless. Just like this man here. He was speechless. He had no excuse under any circumstance. Now notice verse 13. And we're going to come to the climax of this. Verse 14. Verse 13. Now then said the king to the servant, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we know that's going to happen in reality one day with all who does not put their trust in Jesus Christ. The very thing that this natural parable is saying, which is spiritual, is going to happen. And we know out of darkness, this will be described as the darkness farthest from the light. As far as you can get from the light, that's what it's going to be. And weeping a gnashing of teeth, this speak of inconsolable grief and unremitting torment. Let me let me say something to you. Understand this example. Just think about this. I, I want to take two people. I don't know who they are. And, and let's say that they their bodies are ravagery eaten up with cancer. Two people. And and, and their bodies just it, it cancer just Eating away at their body. Just, just eating away at the organs. Let's say one is saved and one is not saved. And let's say they both die the same day. And the one that's saved, they say what? Absence from the body, what? Their condition is totally changed. Their condition of being ravenously eaten up by cancer is totally changed that moment. This person who is identical to this person who is unsaved with the same type of sickness and illness and being eaten up by cancer, when they die, nothing changed in their life. Nothing changed in their life. Nothing changed in their life. Nothing changed. When they die, the state they died in, and everything that they had going on in their life, it remains exactly the same. And they are waiting years and years and years for the white throne judgment to be thrown where? In hell. And that's where the Weeping in the national teeth going to take place. That's enough to scare people into heaven. 
to realize nothing changed in your life as an unsaved person when you die that moment. Think of people in a house on fire is burning up right now and they are unsaved and they die. That moment, it continues the screaming and the howling and the yelling continues on until they are thrown into hell. Man, but anyway, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as I said, this speak of inconsolable grief and unremitting torment. Nothing changed in that unbeliever life. And now we come to Matthew twenty-two fourteen. And listen to this verse. It says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. And you can see that this verse divides up into two nice topics. For many are called, but few are chosen. And the call here is spoken sometimes referred to as the general call. Man makes the general call. In fact about it, when this sermon closes, a call is going to be made. And that's going to be a general call to salvation. We normally think of that call as externally. It is outwardly. And that call is a summons to repentance and faith that is inherent in the gospel message. And this call extends to all who hear the gospel. Many hear it, few respond. Those who respond are the chosen one, or the elect. Because the Bible says no man can come unto the Father unless the Father draws him. So no matter what you and I do, we cannot save anyone. All the thing that we can do is preach the gospel. And allow God to do what only he can do. So that's a general call. And that's made all the time by man. The general call is made by man. Now there's another type call, and that is the effectual call. Or the eternal call, the internal call. That is the call by God that a person hears within him the Lord speaking to him that he need to move out and be saved. And the effectual call is the supernatural drawing of God which Jesus Christ speaks of in John 6.44. Here is a general call in view and this call extends to all who hear the gospel. This call is the great whosoever will of the gospel. Whosoever will. And I think about something I had heard years ago where a man walks up to the gate of heaven and he looks at a sign and say, whosoever will may enter. And the person enter. And as he enter, he felt really good about himself 
and he looked back after entering to heaven and he looked up and saw a sign said, saved by grace. So he was thinking that he was doing something of his own by walking into heaven. But yet, his proudness had him to read the sign that said, saved by grace. And I often think about, and perhaps uh, someone would do this, that we have a sign over our door back here as we enter, and the sign says, enter to worship. And then on the inside of that door, as we are walking out and looking up, the sign says, lead to serve. I, I would like to see a sign like that over that door outside as we enter, saying, enter to, to worship God. And then as we dismiss Sunday after Sunday, we see a sign across the door that's saying, leaving to serve. Because that's exactly what we are doing. We are entering in here to worship God, and we are leaving out of here to go and serve a dying world where sin and death is ruling and reigning. Now we see the proper balance between the general call and the effectual call. The proper balance between human responsibility and divine sovereignty. The call who rejects the invitation so do willingly. And therefore the exclusion from the kingdom is perfectly just. Because we just saw in this parable people rejecting the invitation. And they rejected this invitation willingly. So God will be just in sending them to hell. Because they rejected the invitation. So you can see the, the, the responsibility of man and you can see the sovereignty of God. And many times we can't equate those two. But man does have a responsibility. And his responsibility is to accept the invitation. His responsibility is to believe. And if he doesn't, it implies that he has willingly rejected the grace of God. And now God has only one choice is to say, out of darkness. So the chosen enter the kingdom only because of the grace of God and choosing and drawing them. For many are called, but few are chosen. This statement of Jesus in this context touches on the great working through of the choice of man and the choosing of God. Why did they not come to the wedding party? Because they refused the invitation. Why did they not come to the wedding party? Because they refused the invitation. So we see. For many are called, but few are chosen. And as I said earlier, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draws him. And that should be no surprise to us if we know a little about the Bible. Do we not remember the clear words of Jesus? No man can come to me 
except the Father which has sent me draws him. So, in closing, speaking to the faithful, speaking to the remnant. I was just thinking when I said that, speaking to the remnant. And you guys pray about this. Pray about this. That the morning gathering of people would gather with us in the evening time. Really pray about that. Yeah, we should be together as a family on in the evening time. And sometimes I kind of wonder what different please forgive me. And Pastor Kidd is sitting there and maybe he can help me answer this question and you guys can too. What will we need to do in order to get us to come out on Sunday evening? We're we getting a new pastor within a few weeks. Is that going to bring us out? We, we really need to, to, to pray that the Lord will move upon the heart of our morning service saints and, and have them committed, you know, to come out on Sunday evening. So in closing, listen to this. And as we just read, this parable ends with the hunting word, for many are called, but few are chosen, Matthew twenty-two fourteen. But what does this parable mean to us? In general, it means that we are called to go out and evangelize many people. Some will refuse to come and hear the gospel preach. They will not come. Others will make light of it. We just read and go on their way, soon leaving the church. Soon leaving the church. And then think about that. Um, some people have been sending me some articles to read where individuals, leaders in the church are leaving the church. And no longer believing in Jesus Christ. And this parable is just so applicable to even what's going on today. And that's our, uh, Matthew 22, 5. Others will make light of it and go on their way, soon leaving the church. And then they're going to say, but others will come to hear the gospel. Among them are those who are both bad and good, Matthew 22, 10. After a time, the Lord himself will reveal those who refuse to be clothed in Christ's righteousness, and the Lord himself will cast them out of the church, one way or another, which take us to those proven words. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we can hardly think of a more solemn message. And Lord, as ironic and even comical as Jesus' illustrations are, 
yet they are every bit of earnestness and sobriety and solemnity in everything he says. And Lord, our heart tremble. We don't want to be like that pretended friend. And we don't want to be like those who are indifferent to the invitation, Lord. And we don't want to be like those who are opposed to Jesus Christ. We want to see him. We want to embrace him. And we want to trust in him. And we want to turn from ourselves and from our sin. And we want to glorify and enjoy him forever in the feast that you have prepared for us. And we honestly pray this in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God. And all God people say, Amen.